You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Oh, it's a disturbing trend, but it's happening. Students in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, throwing parties to see who can get the coronavirus. According to a report, students put money into a pot and they are trying to get the coronavirus. Whoever gets it first gets the pot. Congratulations. I hope it's not a trend. It is trending, but I hope this is not a trend. Final hour on this Thursday. We're down to Danette. Paulie uh, got an early start on his 4th of July weekend. We'll get to phone calls. We'll also talk to uh, Scott Zolak. He's a former NFL quarterback and a uh, Patriots radio analyst. Get his thoughts on Patriots bringing in Cam Newton. And also, he uh, heads up the uh, N- or the uh, Baseball Players Association. Tony Clark will join us. And uh, Todd said that when he was reaching out to the commissioner of Major League Baseball, you mentioned to the PR department that we were having Tony Clark on, the Players Association Executive Director. I did. And you think the commissioner... Lo and behold, after several tries of trying to secure the commissioner, he was able to come on uh, yesterday, the day before... Tony Clark is coming out. Okay, and one thing should be pointed out in fairness to the commissioner, because I told you what my source had told me a couple of weeks ago. Once they locked in on 60 games, they were not budging off 60 games. The commissioner and the owners did offer up more games. I think they went up to like 74 games. So it wasn't always 60 games. I was told when it got to 60, no matter what the Players Association did, they were not budging. So I, I just want that to be mentioned, that the commissioner and the owners did try to opt for more games. It just didn't work out. But once they got into 60, they were locked in. Also, the commissioner saying there was initially a report that maybe uh, four to six owners were interested in shutting down the season, and I was told one to two, and that's what the commissioner said yesterday. Uh, 877-3DP-SHOW, email address dp at danpatrick.com. NFL quarterback moves usually set off a chain reaction when you think about it, at least public perception. Patriots bring in Cam Newton, raise the question about their quarterbacking room. And now the AFC East is looking at New England differently. Jared Stidham, not quite sure. Cam Newton, we know what he once was. Buffalo Bills were going to be the team taking over the AFC East. They got a young quarterback, Josh Allen. And maybe he's up to the task. Athletic, all the arm strength. I mean, he's, he looks like a younger version of Cam Newton. Sean McDermott was on the staff when Cam led the Patriots to the Super Bowl in 2015. He's the head coach of the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, he's probably hoping that Josh Allen is able to emulate Cam Newton. Then you got Sam Darnold. Talented, but still unproven. Miami's got two of there. Cam Newton's made the AFC East a lot more interesting, and he actually made the New England Patriots cool. The question is, how much is he going to play? For that answer and more, we bring in the Patriots radio color analyst, Scott Zolak, the former Patriots quarterback. Uh, What was the reaction, Scott, when uh, the Patriots signed Cam Newton? Well, I mean, we, we had the greatest name to play the position for 20 years, and when he departs, and you're left with Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham. And I, I like both those guys. I know Brian really well. He's been here multiple times. Uh, you know, and they go with Stidham last year to be the only guy to back up, back up Tom Brady. So you lose the name. You lose the, I don't want to say ego. I think you lose that personality, that leadership in the locker room. 
And then, bam, you hear Cam Newton's name after hearing not a single thing for three months, three and a half months because of COVID. I mean, we really haven't had any sports to talk about. It's just when are teams coming back, what's going to be protocol. But, man, when Cam Newton's name dropped, a lot of people got excited because Cam Newton really played well against us in the couple games that he had against us. Okay, is he going to be the starter this year if you were going to gauge? If you have to ask me, I'd, th- I'd say no. Given, given, and, and I say, and it's not because he's he's a bad player. He's a fan, fantastic, uh, transcendent type player. Um, I love watching him play. I love calling games against him. This offense here is so predicated on timing and detail, and I think that's why you had the frustration with the quarterback here last year, is because people weren't in spots where he expect him expected him to be. He wants to throw the ball into holes. Cam is a big play player, and when I say that, he's seven steps. He's off the back foot. He waits, he waits, and run around, sort of like Ben. He's very similar to Ben Roethlisberger, and he likes to push the ball downfield. You know, this whole offense here is it's one, two, three yards out to Edelman and get the ball in the playmaker's hands. And I think the timing, Dan, may hurt him the most because if you said, okay, we got Cam back in March, and he had three months under normal circumstances where you had OTAs, throwing camps, being around all the guys in the locker room, and it's a great locker room, they won't brace him. For me, it looks like it's a two-month trial to him. And maybe it was bargain. I don't know that. I didn't talk to anybody that if he doesn't get the job, I can't see Cam sitting there on the sideline, you know, week two in Seattle with a clipboard and baseball hat on backwards. That's just not who he is. He should be a starter. How good is Stidham? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, very cerebral. Uh, doesn't get rattled a lot. Um, I've caught a lot of. I've called a lot of preseason football games for this team over over the years, especially going back to Garoppolo. And that's the one thing. I compared Stidham to. No, I don't care. I don't compare Stidham to Brady. You don't compare anybody to Brady. So I looked at what they gave Jimmy preseason wise, and a lot of it was basic power eye, single tight end, two wide receivers. For Jared last year, they threw the kitchen sink at him and threw it at him pretty good, meaning they went empty, uh, two tight ends, multiple sets, three wide, four wide, no backs. And, you know, he handled everything and directed everything traffic wise with the hands on the road in Detroit. And, he throws the heck out of the seam ball, uh, like the what, like his delivery uh, on the dig cuts, and he doesn't flinch when people hit him. For and that's funny because he got shell shocked at Auburn. You know that last year he was there. Yeah, he's athletic. I think people, you know, they're looking at can you run the same offense for Cam that you do for Stidham and vice versa. Do you think that's possible with New England? I, I think you. I think New England with Stidham, they would keep probably eighty percent of their offense and then tweak it to help him and see what he does well. That's really, it's really good what Billy O'Brien and Josh McDaniels have done over the years. They they really help the quarterbacks uh, flourish in what they do well instead of taking that square peg and fit it in a round hole. And everybody you know on our talk show up here, oh, it's going to be great to get Cam here and you can put him in a in a wildcat set and you can run him. There's a reason Cam got banged up, and that's from running around, getting outside the pocket. You know, he's so big. I mean, he's listed at 6'6", 240. I'm that. He's 275, man. This kid's a rock. And defensive teams would tee off on him. If I'm bringing Cam Newton in, I want to keep him in the pocket. I want to protect him. And I want to know if he's open to being coached by Josh McDaniels, meaning it's hard to strip a guy down mechanically after 9, 10 years where he does things a certain way if he drops the ball. But seat the ball in the chest. Can you hit that fifth step and get rid of it? And if Cam is open to that, and he's going to have a pretty good shot to win a starting job here. Yeah, I just don't know if you can change him, Scott, because the reason I why I bring in Cam is I want him to be Cam. It, I, I can't say, hey, come on in and let's be a pocket passer. I, it defeats the purpose of bringing in Cam Newton. He's not good enough to be just a pocket passer. 
And that's and that's why I go with the edge with with Stidham, damn it. That's exactly the way I think too. Um yeah, you saw that he's no Tebow. You know, obviously Cam's a phenomenal player. We had Tebow in camp here for a while, and it was just frustrating watching them try and work with him mechanically, like to shorten the legs, shorten the, the spread of the feet, come more over the top and less like a baseball player. You know, and he's throwing on air and looks like he was throwing paint cans out there. I don't mean to be I don't mean to be cruel, but you know, you got Brady and company and boom, that ball's popping. Zip, 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 him and Garoppolo, zing, zing. You know, it's we've seen some pretty brissette. We've seen some pretty good guys here over the years. Uh, he's the uh, Patriots Raider, radio color analyst, former uh, Patriots quarterback Scott Zolak. What happened first? Belichick decided he didn't want Brady back or Brady decided that he wanted to go out uh, in his own style, having fun. It seems like if this was Tom's decision based on what he, we, I think it was Howard Stern, he told that, right? When Stern asked him, when did you know you were out of New England? And he said, probably before, probably the summer before our last year there. Yeah. So to put a timetable on it there, and that's really when he negotiated to not have that franchise tag. So to me, that's where he calls the shots. And hey, Bill was fine with it too. I, th- I think Bill, uh, Bill's always said, I'd rather have no other quarterback than Tom Brady. But 20 years is a long time in any business and any marriage and any relationship um you'll never see that again i'm sure we'll never see that again um and it's gonna be tough because uh they, they still have a good football team here and expectations are still very high uh but our schedule's extremely difficult the team hasn't been practicing as much as we know <laughs> you know some guys are still working out um short it's preseason it's a weird year i just hope we have football what would you uh, say to the Seattle Seahawks fans? I saw Russell Wilson working out with Antonio Brown. He, of course, had uh, a cameo with the Patriots. Uh, what would you say in regards to uh, Antonio Brown in Seattle? If this thing's right up top his in noggin. his head, yeah. he's, the, uh, he's, he's the greatest receiver in the league. He's the best. He is that, that – I mean, calling games when he, was against, when, he, when he was in Pittsburgh, to watch him separate, to watch him use his body on the long – long ball to, to accelerate, decelerate, to create space, uh, the kick return game. He's explosive. And to watch him here in practice break guys' legs and just the feet, his feet are so quick. Um, and it's a shame. It's a shame this guy hasn't played football in two years because uh, I think when he's right, he's the best in the league. It's good to see you. Now, it, that's not a Tampa color shirt that you have on. is And certainly not Patriots there, Scott. My last day, we tried to do this show yesterday. My last day was working the Real Studio show. This is a golf shirt. It's a Greg Norman old golf shirt, and I play like an old man. I'm willing to play golf after this right now. But it seems like that's an homage to Tom. Like you're kind of sending a message to Tom right now while not sending a message to Tom right now. It's my man. <laughs> Tom, Tom <or> Brady. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. All right, Dan. Take thanks care. Thanks for always having me on. All I right, appreciate buddy. it. Have a great, have a great fourth. That's uh, Scott Zolak. And throwing paint cans. Ben, you want to talk about a description? <laughs> I've never heard that. Tim Tebow looked like he was throwing paint cans. They were trying to mess with his uh, his arm, make him uh, a little bit more fluid there. <laughs> That's tough. That made me laugh. Uh, there's also uh, a report that Tom Brady has been staying in touch with Antonio Brown. I don't know if that means anything other than Brady is trying to help him, mentor him a little bit. But I did see the video where Antonio Brown was working out with Russell Wilson. And now he could definitely find a home in Seattle. They'd love to have him in Seattle with Russ. But I, I can't imagine that, you know, is this a sign the Buccaneers are going to go, hey, we're get, we need to bring in Antonio Brown.
Because you have, you already have two good wide, you have a great wide receiver and you have an emerging very good wide receiver. Evans is great. Godwin is very good. And you want to keep everybody happy. Here's the big problem that you find with quarterbacks. And normally it's a younger quarterback. And you saw this with Baker Mayfield last year. When you bring in an established wide receiver, a big name personality, they want the ball. And they want to know why they're not getting the ball. Antonio Brown wants to show everybody that he can still play. He's not going to go to Tampa to be a 40 reception guy. He's going to go there wanting to be a star. If that is even a possibility, which I would be really surprised that it was. Now, Brady may say to Bruce Arians, I can manage him. You know, Brady can manage him. The problem is Antonio Brown can't manage Antonio Brown. That's the wild card in all of this. But if I'm bringing him in, how many times does he come back to the huddle and say, hey, Tom, I need my touches? Because that's what wide receivers do. Now, you do have Brady saying, hey, shut up. Listen to me. Baker Mayfield couldn't do that to Odell Beckham. And I thought it became obvious when I watched the Browns. He didn't have his rookie year. You spread the wealth. They got Beckham. I didn't think he was the right guy for Baker Mayfield because he's a personality. He wants to show the Giants they made a mistake. He wants to show that he's just as good as the DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans. I'm every bit the wide receiver those guys are. Well, the only way that happens is if I get you the football. And that's why I didn't think that it was the right person to bring in for Baker Mayfield. Even Jarvis Landry is is established. You need to get these players who grow up with Baker Mayfield, and therefore they're on the same level. But uh, if Tom Brady wants to bring in Antonio Brown, it's one thing to manage him on the field. My concern is off the field. All right, a couple of phone calls here. Uh, Brent in Connecticut joins us. Good morning, Brent. What do you have for me? Hey, Dan, first time, long time, 510-175. I just wanted to pass along what I think is the second best NHL nickname ever, and that's Maurice the Rocket Richard. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm good with that. Can't argue with that career. Wasn't he the fastest of 50 goals before Gretzky? I think Gretzky did it in less than 50 games, maybe 48 games, something like that. Maurice the Rocket Richard. Aaron in Indiana joins us. Hi, Aaron. What do you have for me today? Thanks so much, Dan. You're welcome, Aaron. Cardinals Cardinals baseball, Whitey Herzog, the white rat. (laughs) Oh, that brings back bad memories, though, Aaron. Thank you. Thanks for the phone call. I don't feel like talking anymore. Oh, man. How did that go wrong? We were promoting a book, and he didn't want to talk about, like, drugs with the players, but even the press release itself and the PR people were encouraging us to talk about those stories about what was going on in the Cardinals clubhouse, and all of a sudden it went very sideways. Because he wrote, I think, the foreword for this book about the Cardinals baseball and uh, you know, back when Whitey Herzog was managing the Cardinals, and they were built on speed. And, uh, but they, you know, he was also there with the drug culture, uh, they got Keith Hernandez, uh, you know, Keith had gone through, uh, his issues, great player, former MVP. And uh, the press release comes out because Todd said, do you want to have Whitey Herzog on? I go, I don't think so. And 
So he says, well, look at the press release. The press release says, you know, talks about Whitey is willing to talk about cocaine. And I'm like, what? There's some great quotes in that yeah. press release. Yeah, so, we got to have him on. Yeah, I go, all right. So I have him on and I figure, all right, I got a couple of money questions. I'm going to wait a little bit before I get to those. And then the interview wasn't going that well. <laughs> and I brought up the so-called money questions and he basically shut me down. Just said, I, I'm, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. And I'm thinking, how do you have a press release that's encouraging me to ask about these sensitive topics? I didn't, I didn't blame you for that one because I read it with my own eyes. So then he said, like, I don't feel like talking. I, don't feel like the, I know. And it, like, he didn't even get out the whole sentence. He just trailed off and click. Yes. He, I have uh, like two, it's two forty. Um, I haven't been able to listen to the whole thing, but you start with Keith Hernandez. Oh, we have to hear this. Let's walk Wait, down the I, I start the interview or this clip no, is? No, 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 sorry. Yeah, the clip. Oh, good. The, yeah, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> the clip that I have starts with Keith Hernandez. So my point in mentioning that is I know the clip is long. It's two minutes and 42 seconds long, but it sounds like we get right to the part that you're referring to. Okay, I, I, let me take a break. Because I'm going I'm to talk to Tony Clark, the head of Baseball Players Association, get his thoughts on uh, the interview with the commissioner of baseball yesterday. Then we'll do a, I, I, somebody needs to listen to that because we're almost, you know, going into you know, the Traeger grill and, you know, we're going to go into our weekend here. And, you know, I don't want to go in and be all bummed out after my Whitey Herzog interview. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll listen to it. Okay, Why would you thanks. be bummed out? He was rude to you. I know. I know. But I, it's like when we do the Tanya Harding interview, like it, Again, that had nothing to do with you. She got I, all sensitive. I know. Who has Tanya Harding who doesn't bring up anything about Nancy Kerrigan? <laughs> I'm Mike Tyson. I'm not talking about biting Evander Holyfield's ear or anything. Hold on a second. Paul wants to talk to you. Oh, when she said that and she and she's handing it to her manager. What's going on, man? <laughs> I I think I guess, what's up, man? Yeah, I know. Oh, we're keeping it positive. Why do you got to bring up this? And I go, I'm doing an interview here, Paul. <laughs> she just wants to talk boxing and she's, you know, she's yeah. turned a page on that. Yeah. I don't want to make a skeptical of my boxing career. I'm thinking, she just said, I'm not going to make a skeptical of my boxing career while making a skeptical That's of That's old boxing. news. You're bringing up old news <laughs> with, with, the, with the whole knee in the... I, oh, man. I'm going to take a break here. I don't know. That, that, one, that one was tough because it's live radio. And then you're trying to, I'm trying to be respectful, but I'm also a little angry that, you know, this guy jumps on the phone I'm going, get off the phone. I'm not going to make a skeptical out of my boxing career. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you with someone, a guest handed the phone to someone else while you were in the middle of an interview? God, ever. That was just unbelievable. A skeptical. skeptical. I'm going to make a skeptical of my boxing career. All right. Uh, we'll take a break here. Last call for phone calls coming up as well in the final uh, half hour. What we learn. All of those great things. And uh, we'll take a break. We'll talk to Tony Clark of the Baseball Players Association. After this, it's uh, 20 after the hour. You're listening to The Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to The Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for The Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app, by searching FSR. Sports are just starting to come back. Grilling season already in full swing. Get your backyard cookout skills. Take them to an MVP level in no time with the help of Traeger Wood Fired Grill. 
Visit your local dealer or head to TraegerGrills.com slash DP show to get started. Yesterday, we had the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, and we talked about the 60-game schedule. And I do want to make something clear before we bring in Tony Clark of the uh, Baseball Players Association. The commissioner did offer more games uh, earlier in the negotiations. I was My source said once they settled on 60, they were not budging on 60. So in fairness to the commissioner, that I think they went up to 74. But uh, 60 games, I was told, they were locked in on that, and uh, the commissioner validated that when he joined us. Let's bring in Tony Clark, who uh, went toe-to-toe with the commissioner for the last couple of months on this. Tony, how are you feeling today as we get training camp started or restarted? Good morning, Dan. Uh, excited. Excited to have the guys back in camp, even though we have the challenges that we do, but excited to have, have the guys back doing what they love doing. What did you make of the commissioner uh, validating what I had been told that once they got settled on 60 with ownership, that they weren't budging off 60 games. Well, that, that's the decision that they decided to make. Uh, I, I think throughout the process, uh, we highlighted the interest in playing as many games as possible from start to finish and, and maintain that position. But it appears that uh, their interests were a little bit different, particularly as things uh, progressed toward, uh, toward where we landed. What was the main reason it took this long to get something done? Well, I think that the interests from the other side uh, appear to be that 60 games, despite having made the the proposals that they made earlier. In other words, uh, from start to finish, uh, there was an interest in a, a certain amount of money being spent uh, against the backdrop of, of a particular number of games being played. So uh, that conversation spanned the two months that it did in the fashion that it did. I know that that's, that's a large part of what we focused on was the back and forth. And having covered strikes and lockouts, I never worried about the negotiations. I figured they would always get settled. It's not a pretty picture for either side here. But I worry about the safety guidelines here, Tony, of just being able to play baseball. You know, everybody was talking about the money and games. And I said, can we actually pull this off? How confident are you we'll have 60, a 60-game season? Well, to be to be clear, the the other side was the one talking about money. We ended up as, as part of that cover, conversation. Okay. Uh, our focus was the health and safety. To your point, uh, guys recognize that we're in unprecedented times, and and the the protocols uh, are going to be and processes are going to be much different than anything they've experienced before. And so, uh, it is challenging, uh, and everybody's got a role to play. Uh, not just on the field, but off the field, and and guys understand that. So we're we're hopeful, uh, particularly as guys arrive into camp uh, as we speak, uh, that they can get comfortable with those protocols, that their families and all involved can be comfortable with those protocols, and then do our best to to uh, to make sure that we're able to to keep everyone healthy as healthy as possible and play as many games as possible. Do you take it personally? What happens with the negotiations with the commissioner? No. No. At the end of our day, uh, our responsibility, my responsibility is fairly simple, uh, and that is making sure to protect and advance the interests of our, our players, of our members. Uh, so, no, it doesn't doesn't end up being personal. Um, obviously, as a, a player, uh, a former player, I guess I should say, uh, my love and, and, and passion for the game uh, remains. So that's that's not going to change. Um, but our role and responsibility is pretty consistent. Start to but, you know, these players are going <clears> to <throat> they took this personally. And that next collective bargaining agreement, Tony, it's going to well, be it's going to be ugly. 
There, there, there are a lot of predictions and, and, and a lot of uh, uh, open-ended questions at this point. We'll have to see how things progress. Um, but I think as much as anything, uh, when the game is attacked, when, <clears throat> when players are attacked, when uh, their union is attacked, uh, uh, sure, uh, there are our personal interests um, uh, that become a part of that conversation. But we're, we're still a little ways away. Guys' eyes uh, were opened. I think it was a bit of a wake-up call these last couple of months with the challenges that we needed to work through. But we'll see how those negotiations uh, go here moving forward. What about uh, Black Lives Matter with the players? Uh, anything planned? Well, uh, needless to say, it's a very personal issue for me. It's a very personal issue for uh, our players. Um, and so uh, there is nothing scheduled at this point in time, but there is a lot of dialogue uh, that is happening behind the scenes, uh, both with our players uh, and eventually, as we anticipate, with, with the league as well. Uh, we were talking baseball and uh, Don Mattingly was on the first hour. And it's amazing how you guys recall the inning or the pitch. It's amazing. Whether it's John Smoltz talking about facing Bonds or it's Mattingly facing Roger Clemens and he's telling you the count, the pitches, like everything. Do you have a moment? Because people should know that you played baseball for a long period of time. But is there one of those moments where you you kind of go back to and you it was a it was a great magical moment for you um well i, I have a number of them it, it's it's hard to highlight one but I'll, I'll offer this initial one um which was uh my first big league game um so as you mentioned i was fortunate to have played over the course of of 15 seasons in the, in the big leagues and a number of years in the minor leagues and had aspirations even when I was younger of playing professional basketball. But uh, uh, my very first day in the big leagues um, and playing for Sparky Anderson and looking to my left and seeing Lou Whitaker and, and, and Alan Trammell and looking to my right and, and seeing uh, Cecil Fielder who took me under his wing uh, when I got there. Uh, that very first game and, and each of the at-bats, uh, I struck out my first at-bat, I struck out my second at-bat and uh, uh, hit a ground ball to second, my my third at-bat and was excited to actually have put the ball in play. And, uh, and then my fourth at-bat got my first hit uh, off of Julian Tavares and, and then got my second at-bat, my our second hit in my fifth at-bat off of Jose Mesa. And you'll probably recall as as a baseball fan yourself that in the mid mid nineties, those, those Cleveland Indians teams were, were something special. Um, so that, that very first game and, and having an opportunity to step on the field where, where a, a number of the greats did, including Al Kaline, who was somebody I leaned on as well. It, it's just a, it's something that I'll never forget. Well, you uh, probably got some bullet holes there, uh, maybe bleeding a little bit from those negotiations, but you know, you, uh, you live to see another day. Hopefully we get 60 game season. Uh, I'm, I'm not as optimistic, but you know, I'm, I'm hopeful, but uh, maybe we get it. And uh, I wish you luck, Tony, because I know what those negotiations are going to be like. I, it, it, you know, going to be rough, going to be rough. I I appreciate it. And there's, there's a lot that we're going to have to work through uh, a lot of concerns with respect to where our game is and where it's going. So uh, we'll be diligent and we'll, we'll grind through it. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Dan. That's uh, Tony Clark, the executive director of the baseball players association. But uh, yeah, I just want to make mention that it felt like yesterday with the commissioner that we're talking about 60 games and they weren't locked on 60, but once they did get locked, I was told they were not budging off 60 games because they knew what the start and what the finish date was.
and they were worried about another that second wave of the coronavirus and they wanted to get the world series over before the second wave came back and the commissioner acknowledged that that was true but he did say uh you know hey we offered up to 74 games you know this so baseball got wounded again you know we keep saying it's resilient all oh, baseball always come back you know at some point it just doesn't come back because you still have an older generation your fan base is the oldest fan base of any of the major sports and after a while when you lose that fan base and then a younger fan base comes along they may not have any interest in baseball they may not have any attachment to it and that's going to be a real troubling time and baseball just signed up you know extended their deal with uh, tbs Postseason rights, big money. But I'm doubtful. I'm doubtful what happens after next season because these players are going to be out for blood. Absolutely. And I know Tony Clark may not take it personally. I don't know how you don't. But these players are going to take it personally. And I think that I think the sport is going to hit a couple of potholes again. You know, we look at these sports and we say, well, they're, they're resilient. You know, boxing and horse racing used to be the biggest sports back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Boxing, horse racing, not so much. And I think that that's what you have to be careful of, of you no longer relevant. And I think that, that you know, teams want to be relevant. Sports want to be relevant. How do you stay relevant? And baseball, to me, is not in the 21st century. It just doesn't feel that way. You know, it's, the season's too long. I'm more excited about 60 games, if they get the 60 in, than I would be if there were 162. I want a game to mean something instead of, hey, we lost seven in a row. No big deal. We're not out of it. I like that there's a little bit more drama, tension, a frenetic pace to this. And maybe more people tune in to look and watch and acknowledge some of these great players. Like, I'm excited to see Shohei Otani be a two-way player again. Mookie Betts and a Dodger. Like, there's so many of these players who are really special. But if you don't love the game, appreciate the game, I've watched hockey games before, and somebody will say, uh, oh, I, I had, you know, hockey guy, Peter Forsberg, you got to watch him. He's the best player in the sport. Now I'd watch him and I'd go, I don't get it. But, you know, they're looking at him differently than I am. If you don't know what you're looking for, you're going to miss it with Major League Baseball. And Major League Baseball is swing, miss, swing, hit a home run. No movement whatsoever. And it didn't dawn on me until I went to a game in person with my family. And I realized there's nothing for them to watch. Nothing's going on. It's a pitcher taking forever, a hitter taking forever, a pitcher throwing it by said hitter, and then that hitter waiting to try to hit a home run. That's it. I wouldn't be interested in that. If I was 20, 25, 30, 15, and that's why it is so important for baseball to do the following. Get kids into the ballpark. 
get families, let them afford it so they can go in and experience it. Because if you don't experience it, you ain't watching it. And that's the best way to go there. So you hear that sound, you smell the smells at a ballpark, and go to batting practice. Like just those things that are going to, they're going to leave a mark there. They're going to leave an indelible mark there in your memory. Like, wow, I remember when. Or that was fun. Or that, oh, that was great. I think a lot of us of an you know, older generation had experienced that. And there's a new generation that just isn't interested. And mom and dad can't afford to take you to the ballpark. We'll take a break. Last call for phone calls. We'll close up shop right after this Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Close up shop as we always do. We'll be off tomorrow and all next week. But our thanks to this audience staying with us through these last couple of months. I know it's an unusual 4th of July for everybody. We're used to watching baseball, barbecuing, swimming at the local pool, fireworks, having beers with the boys. And a lot of that has been limited, which actually might provide an opportunity to think about what the holiday is supposed to mean. We really lose track of what some of these holidays are supposed to mean. It's supposed to represent the best of our country's spirit when you think about it. How we came together under the idea that all men are created equal with the unalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it's 2020, and hopefully we all recognize all men has to mean all people. You hear these slogans, the mottos, we're all in this together, and the news might not be good or always good or fit our specific ideologies, but Independence Day is about hope. And there's so much to be proud of this weekend. You know, I'd love to be celebrating burgers, beers, watching baseball, seeing my friends, but can't do it. But I'm glad to take a few moments to reflect on what 4th of July really means to all of us here on The Dan Patrick Show. And as we move forward here, it's been a long run without sports. And it starts to filter back. Hopefully it comes back and, and we can survive this. We can get through this. And I look, I, I do take it personally. People do respond and say, why are you so negative? I just want to be realistic. That's all I've ever tried to do in this job is just I'm honest with you. It might not be what you want to hear, but I'm just trying to be realistic with all of this. You can't hope for something and it magically magically happens. I have hope and optimism. That doesn't mean anything at all. But we have the groundwork, the framework here to have some sports coming back. And if everybody does their job, whether you're in those sports or outside of those sports, maybe we can pull this off. But I do think that you're going to have at least one league that will not be completed. I just think you play the odds here, and that's not the case. Uh, we did hear from the uh, University of Tennessee yesterday, and uh, you know, I'd asked their head coach, Jeremy Pruitt, how many positive tests had they had? And he said zero. And I had, I, you know, I voice skepticism because I'm just looking at the, the numbers, the percentages. It's usually about 5%. You have, you have Corona parties at Alabama. That's trending now where they want to see who can get the virus first. 
maybe Tennessee doesn't have any positive test. I hope they don't, but I I don't know if a coach is is obligated to tell you the truth. And I don't know Jeremy Pruitt. If he's telling me they have zero, okay, I'll believe you. But I'm I'm very suspicious about that. I am. Can't help it. All right, uh, this day in sports history, with Paulie not being here, Todd says he'll do the honors. We've got some good ones here. 1903, Washington Senators left fielder Ed Delahante drowned after falling into the Niagara River. He was kicked off a train after drunkenly threatening passengers with a straight razor. Body found at the bottom of Niagara Falls. A little depressing. We'll make it a more positive note. A little depressing. Little, he right. goes, I got some good ones here. Yeah. Huh? Well, that How was about a, this that, guy found at the bottom of a river? That one was a little depressing. But now, 1933, Giants pitcher Carl Hubble, 18 innings of shutout ball without a walk to beat the Cardinals, one nothing. 1950, Indians pitcher Bob Feller wins his 200th Major League Baseball game. 1963, it was Juan Marichal against Warren Spahn. Willie Mays ended the game with a 16th inning home run. Two more quick ones. Wimbledon men's tennis, Sweden's Beyond Borg beats Jimmy Connors in five sets for the second of his five consecutive Wimbledon titles. And 2013, seven years ago, Reds pitcher Homer Bailey no-hits the Giants in Cincinnati, his second no-hitter in 10 months. Okay. How about that? Thank you, Todd. We have had a couple of people who ask, how, how many sentences can you read without taking a breath? And I said, I, I don't know. It's a Brooklyn thing. We talk very fast. It could be quite a few, though, because I've had the pleasure of recording Todd uh, doing commercials yeah. for the show, and he could get moving for sure. It's a little too late in the show to, to actually try this out. Yeah, I figured. We see could... how many sentences that you can rattle off without taking a breath. Yeah, I figured you might want to spend the last four minutes of, to uh, something more entertaining than that. Hmm. I don't know. That sounds like it could be pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah. I'd have got what we learned standing by, but that might be a little too soon for that. Oh, yeah. I'll let you kind of go at your own pace. All right. Well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Todd. Joe, do you think that you have to get in everything in one breath because I'm going to cut you off? Have I have I led you to this? It's, no, I don't think so. I okay. think it's just that I'm just hyper and I just talk fast and I'm trying to be uh, I'm trying to get back to you, the, who everyone tunes in to hear mainly, and not spend too much time taking up the airwaves. So say what I have to say, and if it's a lot, say it quicker so that uh, you can uh, do your part. Thank you, Todd. You're welcome. You are the host. I think. Thank you, Todd. Josh in Massachusetts. Hi, Josh. What do you have for me? Hey, boss man. How are you? Good, 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 good. Five uh, eleven, one seventy five. AKA Papa Squats and Chat Row, uh, longtime listener, pre Qualcomm honoring, and I got a stat <laughs> I think that's going to blow your mind. Whoa, okay. So I dated my wife for 10 years before we got married. We're married three years now, and we have our first baby due next week. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Good for you. I heard you uh, lose your mind at five years. I said, well, that's times two for me. Let me see what DP thinks about that. All right. You know, everybody moves at their own pace. I was just talking about if my daughters were dating somebody for five years. It's different when you have daughters because you want to protect them as much as you can from you creepy guys out there. (laughs) I'm talking about you, Todd. Shocking. Yeah. Uh, Phil in Indiana. Phil? Dan, always a pleasure. You're the best in the business, buddy. Hey, um, real quick, I've got a nickname. Uh, as a result of your show, I still have two very good friends that still call me Phil the Show Killer. Thanks to you. <laughs> well, congratulations, Phil, I think. Aaron in Ohio. Hi, Aaron. 
Hey, DP, thank you. Third time, long time. Mm-hmm. 6320. Um, I, I grew up a Browns fan, so this pains me, but um, I have never heard anyone say the name Joe Green. It's just Mean Joe Green, like it's his first name, Mean Joe. Yeah, you're right. Uh, thank you, Aaron. And Mean Joe Green was really mean. Back when the stuff that he would do, he'd spit on people, he'd kick them, because, and plus the Steelers were losing back then. I mean, Mean Joe Green, if you're looking at transcendent players for an organization, it's Mean Joe Green for the Steelers. Because he was great and they were bad. Now, they got Bradshaw and they were still bad. Then they were really good at drafting people. But Mean Joe Green took them from being really bad and he, he walked out of camp. He was going to quit. He was tired of losing. But uh, Mean Joe Green, when you think of the Steelers, that's who sh- you should think of. Let's go around the room on what we learned on the program. Todd? John Mattingly, who kind of looks like Patrick Swayze, collected memorabilia from other players he really liked, such as George Brett and Jim Rice. Yeah, his hair's a little longer, and I told him, I said, you look a little bit like Patrick Swayze. And he said when he was playing for the Yankees, their equipment guy said that he uh, he looked like Patrick Swayze. McLovin? Scott Zolak, Patriots broadcaster, said Cam probably won't start week one. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion because... I think it's important to have a backup quarterback more important this year than any other year because of depth. And if the Patriots think they're a playoff team, which I'm sure they do, you know, you got Stidham in there and it's nice to have a security blanket with Cam Newton. But I, I don't think it's a given that Cam goes in there and starts. Seton O'Connor. Tim Tebow is throwing paint cans. That's great. That's a great description by Scott Zolak. What we learned brought to you by LegalZoom. Start online. A network of independent attorneys. They provide advice when you need it most. Since LegalZoom isn't a law firm, you don't have to leave your home. Visit LegalZoom.com today for more information. Thank you again for your loyalty and the hospitality of allowing us into your life every single day. We'll be on vacation for a little while. Take care.